Well, good morning, faith family. If you got your Bible, go to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5 is where we'll be this morning. While you're turning there, I'm going to ask you uh, sincerely to pray for me this morning. I've been fighting a sickness uh, all week, and it has like zapped me of energy. And so I uh, just pray that God will give me the strength uh, this morning uh, to, to proclaim his word. I told the... Um, uh, the group gathered Friday night at our parent you uh, that you're going to get the calmer, gentler Wes <laughs> this morning, which may be a breath of fresh air for some of you. It's like, he's so loud. Um, but, you know, it's not about the messenger anyways. It's about the Word of God, and so we're going to get after it this morning. Hey, if you're visiting with us, uh, we love that you are here. In the last few weeks, we've been in a series called The Grace Parade as we're looking at the amazing grace of God, and uh, specifically the ministry of Jesus, how it attracted a lot of people that uh, you wouldn't really put in a Hollywood movie. Uh, this is not your A-list cast of individuals. It's uh, people that we've looked at have been tax collectors and um, uh, prodigals and prostitutes and lepers, and uh, basically the ministry of Jesus is a country song, if you want to narrow it down. It attracts all these different people from all these different backgrounds. And the reason is, faith family, listen, everybody needs God's grace. Uh, No matter what background you come from, no matter what your story is, no matter what your issues are, uh, the grace of God is for you. And uh, what the world finds valuable, um, you tend to find the opposite in the kingdom of God. And so if you're broken, if you're desperate, if you've got issues, uh, well, welcome to the Grace Parade. And this morning, we're going to see another very interesting uh, individual join this Grace Parade as he experiences the mercy of God. Look at here at Mark chapter 5. If you're able to stand, I'll ask you to please do so as we honor God's Word. Mark 5, verse 1. It says, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. He had often been bound by shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with the stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus said to him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. There was a great herd of pigs uh, feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and Uh, told it to the city and the country what had happened. And uh, they came to Jesus, verse 15, and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, and was sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what happened with the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. 
And he was getting into the boat. Uh, As he was getting in the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might go with him. He did not permit him, but said, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, how he has had mercy on you. And he went and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. Would you pray with me and for me now as we ask God to teach us from his word? Father, thanks for this time to be together this morning. Uh, Thanks now for the opportunity to be under uh, your word. Uh, It is not about the messenger. It is about the message of the gospel. So come and meet us here and help us experience afresh your amazing grace. In Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, Amen. 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 You may be seated. Well, of all the famous writings of C.S. Lewis, and there are lots of them, uh, this is by far my favorite. Uh, It's not Chronicles of Narnia, though that's good. It's not Reflection on the Psalms. Enjoy that one too. It's not even Lewis's probably most famous work, uh, Mere Christianity. Uh, My favorite, without a doubt, is The Screwtape Letters. Uh, If you've not read it, I highly uh, recommend it to you. It is a fictional book. Uh, You need to know that. And it's it's, it's basically about uh, the strategies that evil forces uh, uh, use against followers of Christ. Uh, In fact, the whole kind of setting of the book is a correspondence between a senior demon by the name of Screwtape uh, and a younger demon by the name of Wormwood. And um, they're trying to figure out how they can disrupt a a man's life. And of course, they they start initially with the strategies of let's keep him from becoming a Christian. I mean, he's never going to be a threat to us if he's never a Christian. And so get him wrapped up in religion. Uh, Tell him, you know what, that's something you can put off till later. You don't need to do that now. Deal with that another time. But the man does become a believer, and then the strategies change. Now what the evil forces want is they want to keep this Christian from taking action. That is, uh, they don't want him to actually take his faith seriously. And one of the strategies that they use uh, among many to try to keep the Christian from taking their faith seriously is this. You'll notice it on the screen. Keep the Christian from truly understanding what God has done for them. They'll never be a threat to us if they never understand what God has done for them. Here's how Lewis writes it in the narrative. Quote, my dear Wormwood, it seems to me that you take a great many pages to tell a simple story. Kind of like my sermons. Don't laugh. The long and short of it is that you have let this man slip through your fingers. The situation is grave, and I see no reason why I should shield you from the consequences of your inefficiency. Now listen to this next line. A repentance and renewal of what the other side calls grace is a defeat of the first order. It will amount to a second conversion and probably a deeper one. Screwtape goes on to explain to Wormwood why this is such a big deal. The great thing is to prevent his doing anything. Let him do anything but act. No amount of piety in his imagination will harm us if we can keep it out of his will. 
Do you see what Lewis is illustrating there? It is quite profound. What he is saying is that evil forces do not want you to experience a renewal of grace, to really understand all that God has done for you in Christ, because if you really understand it, it will lead you to action. And my goodness, dear friend, a Christian that is acting on their faith, a church that is acting on the gospel is a threat to the powers and principalities. Now, this thing happens practically in other areas of our life. Let let me kind of bring this into everyday life so that you'll understand. Here's what I mean. Anytime you experience something amazing, it always leads to action. You you know this to be true. I'll give you some examples. If you go eat a fantastic meal at a restaurant, what do you do? What? You tell others. You say, man, you really, really need to eat there and order this. Or if you watch a very captivating movie, you'll tell others, man, you really got to go watch that movie. It was so awesome. If a child is born into your family, it's very natural for people to share pictures. You want everybody to know about this amazing thing that happened. Uh, If you're excited about what God is doing at your church, you naturally invite people like, man, you really need to come and participate in what's happening at my church. Last night after the service, uh, a couple uh, that just got back from one of our mission trips came up to me and was just sharing, you're not going to believe this and how awesome it was and this and this and this. And I thought, I know, I know, I know. You know why? When you experience something amazing... It always leads to action. That's exactly, exactly what happens in Mark chapter 5 in the life of this man. He is quite the interesting fellow, is he not? Look at his condition that he's in at the beginning of Mark 5. It says, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. Jesus steps out of the boat immediately. He's met by this man from the tombs with an unclean spirit, a man, verse 3, that lived among the tombs. No one could bind him, not even with a chain. Even when they put shackles and chains on them, he would break them into pieces. No one, watch, no one had the strength to subdue him, insert footnote, yet. Verse 5, night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Here, here's the flow of the narrative. Jesus has been performing miracles. He's tired. He gets into a boat. Uh, he falls asleep. Uh, a, a, a storm begins to uh, build and the disciples become afraid and they run to Jesus and they wake him up. This is at the end of Mark chapter four. Uh, and Jesus, you know the story, stands up and says, peace be still. And the, and the winds and the waves are calm. As soon as the boat hits dry land, Jesus steps out of the boat and he's immediately met by this guy. He has no clothes on. There's blood all over his body from cutting himself with rocks. His hair has not been cut. He reeks with body odor. He's screaming at the top of his lungs. And on top of all that, he's possessed by demons. The best way for me to illustrate that is imagine that you have been on a very, very long flight with lots of turbulence, and as soon as you get off the flight, the first person you meet is Gary Busey. 
All right, that is that's about exactly what would be going on here. This guy is a is that is that bad? Anyways, uh, this guy is a maniac. He is a madman. Uh, he 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 is a very interesting guy, and his condition is quite sad. Living in the tombs, crying out for help. Nobody can help him. Nobody can comfort him. Nobody can save him from the misery he's in. And he runs over to Jesus, and Jesus starts having a conversation with the devils inside. Let's call a timeout for just a minute, and let's talk about this whole demon thing. By the way, I am absolutely convinced that this is a real story that actually happened in time and space. So let's talk about demons. It's in the text. I know you were driving to church this morning saying, man, I hope we talk about demons. Like that's my favorite topic to talk about. But it's in the text. Let's address it, okay? Uh, Demonic activity is a reality. Demonic activity is a reality. Demon possession is a reality. Demon, uh, demonic oppression is a reality. The problem is you and I tend to view this kind of thing from a Hollywood movie type lens where everything's a haunted house. And uh, everybody lives to a girl next door that's possessed by a demon. And, and these kind of, of, of series that will come out and movies that will come out right here, Faith Family, please put that nonsense aside. Please put those misrepresentations aside. But that's not to say that spiritual warfare and demonic spirits are not a part of life. In fact, more than we know. C.S. Lewis, again, I think provides a helpful balance here. He says there's two equal and opposite errors when it comes to devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe but have an excessive or unhealthy interest in them. Because right here, the, the, the main emphasis in Scripture is not demonic activity. The main issue in Scripture is sin. Wayne Grudem, I think, helpfully summarizes this when he says, the emphasis of the New Testament is not on the influence of demons but on the remaining sin of a believer's life. Yet, we should recognize that sinning does give a foothold in some way to demonic influence in our lives. Right here, it's real, but it's not the main point. It's real, but we don't need to be obsessed about it. Um, But we need to recognize that these things are reality. It's not even really the main point in this text. Uh, I've seen a lot of people in, in, in this passage, they get sidetracked on the, the demon part. But, but the demons are only there to illustrate something else, and that is this man is unclean. Do you notice that in verse 2? He has an unclean spirit. That's the idea here. you got an unclean man, a Gentile, living in an unclean land. Uh, He's living in an unclean place, a, a graveyard, surrounded by unclean animals, pigs, with an unclean spirit. This man is enslaved by sin. Now, you might ask, what in the world does this have to do with me? I mean, I'm not bound by chains. I don't think I have a demon inside. I've got most of my clothes on. I mean, I'm nothing like this guy. How in the world does this relate to me? Here's how it relates to every one of us. He is an illustration of the spiritual condition of every single person apart from Jesus Christ. 
Let me show you how the Bible talks about this. For instance, in Ephesians chapter two, beginning at verse one, and you were, say this next phrase with me, dead in your trespasses and sins. That is, you were living in the tombs. You were living in a spiritual graveyard in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience. First John chapter three, verse 10. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. One more, 1 John 5, 19. We know that we are all from God and the whole world, uh, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So when the Bible talks about sin, it describes sin in the same way, in the same condition as we see this man in Mark 5. Do you see? You know, by the way, you might say, Pastor, we, you, in this series, you've been talking a lot about sin. I mean, do you realize that in a lot of churches, they don't talk about sin anymore? To which I say, yes, and we will not be one of them. Because that, you know, I love that you're clapping about that. Talk about sin. Woohoo! Here's why. Because listen, listen, you will not understand how amazing grace really is if you don't understand your real condition. Like, I, I, would, I would be dishonest with you if I were not telling you the truth about who we are. Therefore, we'll understand how unbelievable grace is, how amazing it is. That's why the last few weeks I've been giving you these illustrations. A couple of weeks ago, I told you that, that the leprosy in the 10 lepers was a, a metaphor of our condition. Uh, sin isolates us from God. It is spread to everybody, and it is incurable apart from a great physician. Are you with me? Last week, we talked about sin in terms of like adultery and sexual immorality. James says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? That is, uh, what sin is, is not loving God with all of our hearts because we go after other lovers. We, 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 we worship other gods before him. And so it talks about sin in adulterous type language. Well, now Bible, the Bible speaks of sin as a spiritual graveyard of which you are dead in your trespasses. Here's my point. We are this guy apart from Jesus, an outcast living in a graveyard. But guess what? Jesus came along. Can you get fired up about that? Jesus came along and watch what happens. Verse, uh, verse 9. Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there was a great herd of pigs uh, feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. Now you should underline this next phrase. So he gave them what? 
permission. And the unclean spirits came out, entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, and they rushed down the steep bank and into the sea and drowned into the sea. Here Jesus squares off against these demonic forces. Here Jesus goes toe-to-toe, mano-a-mano, against all of these demonic spirits. Now, we don't know how many demonic spirits there are. Just because there's 2,000 pigs doesn't mean there's 2,000 demons. Uh, The word legion does mean many. It was a military term often used even to refer to like thousands. But honestly, we don't know. And honestly, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many demons there are here. They are no match for Jesus. Here is how this showdown between Jesus and the demons goes. You've got Jesus in one hand. You've got all these demons in the other. And the match between them lasts about that long. All right. I mean, Jesus is the one that has authority, and the fight is over just like that, isn't it? He has, like Mark wants you to understand this, evil is no match for the king of kings. When Jesus walks on the shore, the demons shudder. They are afraid. They are fearful of the authority of this man because they know who he is, son of the most high God. And Mark has been trying to get the reader to understand this now, just not just from this story, but from what's before and after it. Jesus calms the storm. Jesus casts out the demons. And then you can keep reading later this afternoon. And Jesus cures the sickness of this woman and this little girl right after this in Mark chapter five. Point, Jesus has the power to change any situation. My friend, look at me right here. If you're going through a storm today, Jesus can bring peace. If you're living in a spiritual graveyard, Jesus can give you new life. If you're dealing with sickness and disease, the great physician can bring healing to you. There ain't no situation impossible for Jesus. He is the son of the most high God. Mark wants you to understand that. Hey, the demons know who they're dealing with. Do you? They are afraid. They are on their knees begging. And they don't move one inch that Jesus doesn't give them permission to do so. (laughs) I love it. Now, let's take a time out and talk about an implication of this. What does this mean for our lives? This is really important in light of what we see in the text. I think this will be worth your price of admission today. All right? We're not giving you a refund if it's not. Already, look on the screen here. Victory over sin doesn't happen by willpower. It happens through Christ's power. Now, here's where I get this from. Uh, uh, And this is really important to think about. Um, This man had tried external things. The entire city had tried external things. They had uh, bound him in chains. They, they had tried to shackle him, but those things never worked. The only ultimate cure for his condition was a man named Jesus Christ and the power that he has. Now you say, why are you bringing that out? Because I hear people talk this way all the time. You know what? If our government would only pass certain legislation, then we would have a better uh, spiritual climate in our country. Hey, brother, sister, listen, the government can't do what only Jesus can do. 
Or I hear people say this, you know, if I only had better internet filters, then that would just help me in my battle against sexual sin. Or if, uh, if I just had more godly friends to be a better influence in my life, that would really get me where I need to be. Listen, our hope is not in external things. Our hope is in the power of Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying that external things can't be a help. Like, sure, that's fine. Godly friends, that's, that's good. But listen, the, the victory over sin is found in the power of Jesus, not yours. You cannot willpower your way to freedom. This man needs Jesus, and so do we. Run to him. If you're here today and you're enslaved to a sin, enslaved to worry, enslaved to a host of different sins, run to him. Run to him. There is freedom in Jesus Christ. And it may not happen overnight. It may not be a light switch. But the more you run to him and pursue him, freedom will begin to happen in your life. He is a man with an unmatched authority with victory over sin. Well, now notice next the the change in this man's life. So we've seen his condition. We've seen the authority of Jesus. But now watch what happens in his life as a result of the grace of Christ. Verse 14. The herdsmen fled and told it to the city and in the country, and the people came to see uh, what had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man who had had the legion sitting there, and he's clothed finally, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. They had no idea how to take this. They're like, George, is that you? (laughs) By the way, I don't know if his name was George. Like I I'm just kind of making that up, right? It's like, is that really you? Like you're the guy that was that and this and and living like they can't even get their minds around what's happened in his life. Notice how his change continues in verse 18. Uh, He was, uh, uh, as Jesus was getting in the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. What a radical transformation in this man's life. Uh, I'll, I'll give you the summary. He was naked. Now he's clothed. He was wild. Now he's at peace. He wanted Jesus to leave. Now he wants to be with him. He was living among the tombs. Now he has new life. The text said no one could subdue him, but Jesus just did. What a transformation. What a conversion. And my friend, if you're here today and you're a Christian and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is your story. This is what happened to you. You went from being naked to being clothed in the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. You went from being wild to Romans 5.1, having peace with God. You went from wanting nothing to do with Jesus at all to seeing him as the joy of your life. You went from living in the tombs to if any man be in Christ, if any woman be in Christ, they are a what? New creation. You went from being the Lord of your life to calling him the Lord of your life. You didn't want anybody to subdue you, but Jesus did. This is salvation. Paul describes it this way in Colossians 1 verse 13. He has, get this, like 
Act as though you've never heard this before and this is fresh grace falling on you like rain this morning. He delivered you from the domain of darkness and he transferred you into the kingdom of his beloved son and you now have redemption, the forgiveness of your sins. That's amazing grace. I mean, look at what's happened. This guy was this. Jesus is this. And he had the power by grace to change his life forever. Implication, application here, grace can change anyone. I think... If you took a poll in that city, who is the most hopeless cause in your village? I think they'd say, George. Look at him. He screamed. We hear him scream every night. The man cuts himself just wishing he could take his life. Every time we see him, we hide our children. There's no hope for a man like that. Oh, yes, there is. And he just arrived on the shore. And his name is Jesus. Faith family, if you don't learn anything out of this series, you better learn this out of this series. There is no such thing as a lost cause when it comes to the grace of God. Amen. There are people, there are, some of you right here this morning are parents, and you're saying, my child is too wayward. They'll never come back. The grace of God can bring them home. Some of you would say, you have no idea how I spent last night. Listen, the grace of God can bring you home. There is no such thing as a lost cause. This is the powerful, radical, transforming grace of Jesus Christ. You say, where are you getting this grace from? What does Jesus tell the man? And we'll look at it in just a moment. He tells the man this, go tell them that the Lord has had mercy on you. It's the transforming grace that Jesus has in bringing salvation. Christian, would you, oh, would you this morning be reminded of your story? There are evil forces of which you cannot see who absolutely did everything they could to keep you from being here today. Because if you really understand what God has done in your life, it's over. And you will become a threat. And there are others of you here today, like is illustrated in, in the screw tape letters, the evil forces are saying everything in your mind. You know what? It's really not something you should do today. Wait till you're older. Because the last thing they want you to do is have faith. Because once you believe that he is the son of the most high God, you're now a threat. 
You right now in this moment are in the midst of a spiritual battle, a spiritual warfare, and greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. Now watch what happens as a result of this grace in this man's life. You see it in verse 19. He had asked Jesus if he could go with him, But in verse 19, Jesus does not permit the man, but he says this, I don't want you to go with me. I want you to go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And here it is, how he has had what? Mercy Mercy on you. What's the man's response? Well, that's not what I want to do. I want to go with you. No, Verse 20 says, and he went away and began to proclaim how much Jesus had done for him. What a great passage on evangelism. Here's why this is such a great passage on evangelism. This guy who's willing to tell anybody, go anywhere, he's open uh, and unashamed about the gospel. And why is that the case? Because he's experienced something amazing. And when you've experienced something amazing, it automatically leads to action. Are you kidding me? How in the world? Like you think eating at a restaurant is awesome and having a good meal, watching a great movie, having the birth of a child and a family. You think those things are awesome? Meet Jesus. And in light of Jesus and his amazing grace, this guy's like, you want me to go tell people? You got it. Because I can't experience something this amazing and not naturally want to tell people. It is why faith family, by the way, preaching helps you feel a little bit better. I I feel good now. We can do this a while, right? (laughs) Don't do that. Don't encourage me. Don't encourage me. But it's why as your pastor, I'm never going to guilt you into evangelism. I grew up in a culture like that. I'm not going to guilt you. You know this. I've told you this before. I'm not going to guilt you into giving. I'm going to grace you into evangelism and giving. Why? Because the proper motivation, the proper motivation for the Christian life is not law, it's the gospel. Because if I can just proclaim to you the grace of God to the point that you begin to remember it and experience it at a deeper level, I won't have to tell you to go tell anybody else. You will naturally do what Jesus has has said. You will want to tell others what the Lord has done for you. Notice that Paul attaches these two things together in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is past. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, that it's God's work, uh, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. That's everything we've just seen in narrative form in Mark 5. Now, notice the last phrase. Why don't you just say it with me? Everybody, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What's Paul's link? You with me? Those who have been reconciled to God really, really, really want other people to be reconciled to God. Those that have experienced reconciliation 
Take up the ministry of reconciliation. That's why this text is such a great passage for evangelism, is because it shows us that evangelism is the outworking of understanding salvation, or I'll put it this way, all right? Fervent evangelism always follows fresh grace. It's why the enemy doesn't want you to realize what God has done for you. Because once you do, it's on. Once you do, you begin to realize there are people in my family, there are friends that I have, there are people that I work with that do not know the best news in the entire world, the news that has transformed my life forever. How can I not tell them? How can I not tell them? You say, well, pastor, where do I go? You know, who do I tell? Well, what does the text say? Go to your friends. Here's what I want, very practical this morning as we, as we end the message. You ready? Who is in your network of relationships that needs to hear about Jesus? I'm, I'm not talking hypothetical. I'm talking to you right now and your network of influence, your network of relationships, family members, friends, coworkers. Who, who is in your life that needs to hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, what do I say? What, what do I tell them? Well, you, you, you do what you tell them what Jesus said to tell them. Um, take a 16-week evangelism class and learn the proper strategy uh, and then take systematic theology so you can get all your theological ducks in a line. And then after about six months, then you'll be ready to have something to tell them. Is that what Jesus says? No. What does he say right here, right here, right here? You got a story. You have a story of what the Lord has done for you. Tell it. Tell it. I'm all for systematic theology and evangelism training. But stop making it so complicated. Where do I go? to the people that are in your life. What do I tell them? Your story of amazing grace. Tell them how God brought you into the grace parade and invite them to join also. It's an implication of understanding God's grace, namely that we want to express it for those who don't know it. So I end this morning by asking you, have you experienced the grace of God? Here is in part how you know you're telling others about it. You're sharing about His grace in your life. And if this morning you need a reminder, remember that this was you living in a spiritual graveyard until Jesus came into your life and transformed you by grace. Now go tell that story. Because those that have experienced something amazing always act on it. And know this. As you go out today and you tell your story of God's amazing grace, the same powers and principalities that were threatened by Jesus then will be threatened by Jesus now. But greater is he that is in us 
than he that's in the world. And God's people said, Amen. 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 Pray with me. Father, thanks for your word to us today. Um, These stories, these biblical pictures of redeeming grace never get old. It's just amazing to see the transforming power of Jesus in a life. And that's why it is our vision to see our lives transformed by the power of the gospel. You are Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. And you have the power to change any life by your grace. If there is somebody here today that's never happened, I pray that right now that your spirit would convict them of their sin and they would turn to Jesus by faith and believe that the story that we just looked at in Mark 5 would happen here today of people in spiritual graveyards receiving brand new life in Christ. For others in this room who have experienced that, I pray that you would put on our minds right now, who is it that we need to share this with? Do we need to be more bold in telling our story of salvation? Help us be the kind of people that this man was. We leave from this place with a passion to tell the good news. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.